Well, let me start by explaining that Eric and I have very different personalities. When we first got together, our closest friends literally had a betting pool on how long we would last because we're so different. And the longest one was six months. And I found out about this and I told him about it and I said, here's my perspective on that. I said, we can let all of these differences divide us or we can choose to use them to our advantage because what my strengths are is your weaknesses and where I am weak, you are strong. So if we work together as a team, we can be unstoppable. I said, but we have to make that decision. And so we made that decision in the very beginning before we were ever even married. And so we kind of take that approach now. Our core values are all the same. How we approach things might be completely different because our personalities are different. Teaching our kids, I realize if I start teaching them something and I can't communicate it appropriately, I will have Eric do it because he will come at it from a different angle with his personality and then the kids might get it that way so much better. Better Than Rich Show listener, this is the first time ever we've had three members of the same family on our podcast. You may have heard Devin's episode. You may have heard Eric's episode. Now you were here with Lila Wolwend. And what a cool conversation we get into about homeschooling and parenting. I mean, how do you raise two kids that combined have about 100 properties between the two kids? One is 16 and one is 13 years old. We go into a lot of really different directions that we did with Eric. Eric, we really focus a lot on the tactical. But with Lila, we really dive into the homeschooling approach and partnering with your spouse, partnering with your kids. Andrew, what were some of the things that showed up for you during this convo? I love this conversation. And whether you homeschool or not, just how to raise great kids, right? I mean, just how to be a great parent, how to encourage this lifelong passion for learning and how to not extinguish the light of your children who are just these balls of joy and excitement and curiosity. But so often the school system or just disengaged parenting can have them kind of turn into cookie cutter folks. And so we get into that. We get into how to handle technology with kids. We get into how to integrate them into your family life and your business and not see them as a nuisance. There's just so many cool things that I got from this episode, and I know you will too. So please, listener, enjoy this episode with Miss Lila Wollen. Welcome to the Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. I'm Mike Abramowitz. I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Biggs, and our special guest today, another member of the Wolin family. We are here with the mom, the wife, Lila. Thank you so much for being here today with us. How are you today? Wonderful. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, we're excited to have you. Our audience and ourselves have heard a lot about you from Devin and Eric already, but we want to hear from you. All right. We want to hear from the mom's lens, the wife's lens of this whole operation. And You've done a really great job. We haven't met Ethan yet, the youngest, but we have had the conversation with Devin and he was super impressive. Just recently turned 16 when we had the conversation with him talking about 
buying and selling and flipping Legos at five years old and buying real estate, you know, is by seven and being an accredited investor before he was able to turn 15 or 16 years old, speaking to millions of people around the world right behind him, 13 years old with what, 39 doors or properties at the time of Eric's recording. So super, super impressive family and upbringing. I just want to hear from you. I want to hear your lens. Like, is this what you imagined? Is it like when you were a little girl playing with dolls, you're like, you know what? I'm going to teach my kids on how to collectively own a hundred properties before they enter high school. Like, was that the plan? Is that how this works? No, I wish I would have been that smart as a kid. My mom was my first grade teacher. And so I really thought I should love learning and love education. And my problem with school is I could get good grades. And people kept telling me I'm such a good student. And they kept telling me that I'm so smart, but I would leave school and never feel smart. Because while I could memorize all the right answers to a test and pass it and get an A, I didn't actually understand what I was learning. I didn't know why the answer was the right answer. I couldn't apply that to any other parts of my life. And so when I met Eric in college, I didn't realize that I had these problems learning. And it was really him that brought it up to me because he saw me cramming for a test. And he's like, if you don't know it 10 minutes before the test, you're not going to know it in the test. But I was just certain I had to sit there and I had to memorize all these answers And he just looked at me, he goes, why don't you just learn the information? And and I couldn't understand what he was telling me. It didn't make any sense to me. So it took a while, but I watched him. And even though he didn't get as good of grades as me, he would get a B instead of an A. He could take information that he learned in math and he would apply it to English, or he would take something from science and apply it to cooking. And I just thought he was brilliant. I really honestly just thought that he was this brilliant man. And he's like, no, this is what you do. This is this is what learning is. And he was started teaching me what I had been doing wrong my entire life. And so once I learned what true learning is, that's when I knew I wanted to homeschool my kids because I didn't want them to go through the same school system I went through thinking they have to memorize, regurgitate, and being told that they're smart when they actually can't apply any of the information. So the goal was not to get my kids investing at the age of five, but I did want to give them the things that I didn't have growing up, which was true learning, which was the knowledge of money and financial education. I wanted them to understand the things that I never learned until I was out of college. And so I wanted to give them a better start. So was I surprised when my five-year-old decided to invest? Yes, I was. But I also never wanted to hold them back. It's sometimes just as simple as not saying no. All these adults, we always ask our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? But how many of us look at them and say, what do you want to be right now? So if your child comes up to you and says, well, I want to start a business or I want to start investing or I want to do this or I want to do that, why shouldn't they be? And I had a parent once, she laughed at me. She goes, well, my son changes his mind what he wants to be every other month. And I started laughing with her and I said, well, that's perfect. I said, if he wants to be an astronaut this month, that's a great time to be learning about the planets and the solar system and what happens in space and all the science that goes around that. And then next month when they decide they want to be a doctor, well, then they can learn how the human body works and all the things that they might want to learn if they're a doctor. And then when they change their mind again, you just take all those lessons that they can apply and use anywhere and that will benefit them in the long run. And that's what I wanted to do with my kids. Now I had to convince Eric to homeschool. In all honesty, I didn't know a lot about homeschooling at the time that I was trying to convince him that we should do this. 
(laughs) And so what really cinched it is he met my cousins who had been homeschooled their whole life. And when he realized how smart and socialized and mature and intelligent these ladies were, he looked at me, he goes, okay, we can homeschool. (laughs) And so uh, (laughs) I had won my case, but then I had to figure out what specifically were we going to do with our kids I started off really good. Once they were born, everything was an excuse for learning. And it didn't matter if it was just bath time and we were talking about the water cycle or if it was we were cleaning the room and we were just talking about math or science or letters or colors or numbers. But everything was learning. And it was so much fun. Now I watch how adults are learning. And all I can think of is if their parents had just done some of these things with them in the start, we would have all been so much better off. And even my mom, who was a teacher, didn't know some of these things. She just didn't know what she needed to teach me. And she was working in the same system that I grew up in. So, you know, how do you take these awesome teachers that really care? They want to do the right thing, but they're working in a system that's just broken. And so you can have a great teacher that really cares, but they still, they need to be doing different things that help the kids in the long run. That's great. I mean, thank you so much for sharing kind of your philosophy. And I mean, I'm over here scribbling down notes because we are going to start trying out some homeschooling here in this next school semester, at least for this next semester, probably at least for a year, maybe two or more. And if we really love it, we might never go back. We've been in like a private school so far. We've liked it, but there's just some some drawbacks to that as well. Um, I love what you said. It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, what do you want to be right now? What does it look like for us to not say no to our children who last week was wanting to be a scientist was what my son wanted to be. And now his grandma just asked him on FaceTime. Now he wants to be an MLB player. So, you know, very different worlds, but okay. Could we study the trajectory of the flight of the ball and force equals mass times acceleration and use that baseball that he's very interested in right now for learning. I just think that's so cool. So the next question that comes up for me is, How did you stumble upon these ideas and how do you continually keep the curiosity going for children? One of the things that I think the public school system does is just like really stamps down the curiosity and the interests. Even this precocious, curious little boy who just asked me a thousand whys a thousand times on the way anywhere we were going. Now I get that a little bit less and less. He's trying to be cool like his friends and I want to try to spur that back. So what would you say to that around curiosity and keeping it going? So you want to aim everything that you're teaching them around what their interests are right now. That's why it's so hard. The state wants all these same things taught in the same grades. But when you get a group of kids and they're all interested in a particular movie that came out and you can use that to teach a lesson, like that's what you should be doing. So it can't be the same for every class or every kid because the interests are always going to be different. But if you can take what they're curious about right now and use that to teach them something, they're going to pay more attention and they're going to learn the information so much better. And so I think that's perfect. And is it going to be perfect all the time? No, you're not always going to have the most creative ideas, even when you need them. And my kids were two different personalities. So what worked for Devin didn't work for Ethan. Devin, if he can get a picture in his head, if he can see a picture on the page or he can wrap his mind around it, he understands it. Ethan has to have physical motion involved in almost anything he learns, which can be incredibly difficult. For example, in our book, Family Success Triangle, I talk about teaching him how to read and he bounced the entire time. And all I could think of is you're never going to see the words on a page if you're moving that much. And so how do you take something like reading and turn that into something physical? 
So what I tried to do was get these blocks and they had partial parts of words in them and you could put them together. And then I was hoping that would help him learn how to put words together. But he ended up just kind of playing with the blocks in his hand. But I realized as he was playing with the blocks in his hand, his body was still. And so I literally would give him things to hold in his hand because if his hands were moving, his body would be still enough. His eyes could see the words on the page. And that's how we taught him how to read. And so you have to get creative. You have to kind of be a scientist and say, well, we're going to try this today. And if that doesn't work, we're going to form a new hypothesis and we're going to try that tomorrow. And so sometimes you just have to use the little bit of the kid inside you and say, well, if this was me, what do I think would make it interesting? And then you just take that creativity to your kids. Yeah, I have a few follow-ups on that. So the first follow-up I have is if I'm a parent, now James, he's only two and a half right now, so I have a little bit of time. But I think about how we hear the term spread thin, you know, our parents will say, oh my God, I'm just so tired. I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, that's the truth, right? Like it is tiring raising a kid, it's tiring being parents. So then when it's like the parent hears, oh, I have to say yes to everything my kid is interested in. I'm already really tired and I'm already really spread thin on all these other responsibilities that I have as a parent, as a significant other or partner to my spouse, to my responsibilities if I have a job or work or a business, my responsibilities to my health and go to the gym and take care of myself. And then all of a sudden, my kid is interested in 12 different things, whether it be sports or music or science or the sea or the sky or whatever. It's like, I got to as to all these things too, what would you say to that? So I find people have a tendency to compartmentalize everything. And they talk about trying to balance all these different categories. But the whole reason we wrote our book is the way we raised our kids wasn't about trying to balance it. In fact, when I tried balancing, I was trying to balance a work life and a home life. And I felt like I was, these were on two sides of a teeter-totter and I was running back and forth trying to keep the whole thing balanced. And I was just exhausted trying to do that. What I learned is it isn't about the balance. It isn't about compartmentalizing everything. It's about integrating it all together. If you want to go to the gym and work out, why can't your kids go with you? Why can't you talk about fitness while you do it? Why can't you sing songs while you do it? Why can't you do other things where you're spending time with your kids and they're learning and you're getting your workout all at the same time? And so it becomes less stressful because you're not trying to do it all in separate timeframes. You actually have combined several things together it's not only made it more fun, you've had more family time, you've gotten a lot accomplished, and your kids are going to learn from you watching what you're doing. Ever since I learned balance is not the secret, it's all about the integration. I will come home from work, even if they weren't with me at work, and talk about my day with them so that they can learn. And then when they go to work with me, which I do with them so that they can see what a business is, what a system is, what training someone is like. In fact, Devin has been working with me in my company And he's been kind of running the show, which has been a great educational learning experience for him. And what I'm learning is I can actually learn a lot from him coming in with a fresh perspective than I could if I had never brought him in there because he asks questions I didn't think of. He sees things that I am not seeing because I've been there every day. And so sometimes having your kids with you can be a monumental experience for you as well as for your kids. So just integrate it all together. You will be less tired, more energized, get more done, and it will work. Yeah, just to follow up on that. So we have the gym as an example, and we have work as an example. Are there any additional examples you might bring into the space? And so it's like you bring Devin, you bring the kid to work with you. Hey, just come shadow me, and we'll draw out some lessons from work. Come to the gym with me. We'll sing. We'll hang out. We'll do fitness and whatnot. But 
I'm curious. There's some of these that are time consuming. So like if they're playing a sport, there's like seven practices a week and another 15 games over the course of two weeks. Sometimes each individual sport and each individual activity might require more than what is the capacity is anticipated for the integration. So I'm curious if that was the case that you experienced that, or if you didn't experience people counsel, would you offer if there's something that does have regimented, organized, structural, high demand attendance type of ideas there? So my kids got into the Boy Scouts and they got into martial arts. And what I did, instead of going to the gym to work out, why can't I go to martial arts with my kids? If they want to play a sport, can I help with that sport? I volunteered with the Boy Scouts. I was the one teaching about plants and first aid and emergency preparedness. And so I actually integrated myself into that. So it wasn't two separate things again. And if you do need to do things separate from, let's say they're playing baseball and you have this reading that you need to get done, well, you can read before the game starts. You can read after the game ends. You can read during a break and you still have all that time to watch your child do what you need to do. You know, as long as you're paying attention to him when it counts, the breaks, the beginning and the end, like none of that is going to be as important as when they're up to bat because then they want your attention. And so you need to be able to give that to them but you can still get all of your things done too. Just don't separate them so much. They can all kind of fit together more than what people believe. Yeah, that's so good. And I love just this commitment to that philosophy. You know, one of the curiosities that I think both Mike and I have is we're in this fast moving world. You're raising two teenage boys. I have two boys. They're rambunctious. They have a lot of energy, but also this idea of like technology comes to mind for me, especially for raising teenagers, technology, social media. I'm curious, like, how did you handle that? How have you historically handled that conversation? Have you given them access? Have you restricted it? Have you found some sort of medium? And also, what's your plan as they age into it? My son is already asking, you know, hey, my friend already has a phone. And, and the answer is, cool. You know, it's that classic sort of like, you're my son, not their son. So we have different rules in this household kind of answer. But I know that can only hold up for so long, Lila. To help us out, how have you handled technology and social media in this fast moving world? So I have never told my kids that they couldn't have a phone or that they couldn't have a computer, but I wanted them to be intelligent about it. I didn't want them to spend hours upon hours playing video games. Playing for a little bit if you've got all your work done is fine, but we need to focus on the important things, what I would call the big rocks first. So my kids have kind of learned that, yeah, all of these things they can have, they can have the iPad, they can have the phone, they can be on social media. But it can't be an addiction. It can't take over their life. It can't be the highest priority if it isn't going to get them the things that they want in the long run. And so it's become a learning experience in and of itself because we all have that challenge. Some people are addicted to being on Facebook or they want to play video games all day. And we all need to learn that we've got to get the important things done first. And then we can go do these other things. But it shouldn't be the begin all and end all of our life, we've got so many more things that we want to accomplish on the planet. And so that's a conversation that if your kids can learn that, that's all you really want from them. You want them to be responsible with the technology. It's not that you don't want them to have it, but when they don't have it, it's very hard for them to learn how to be responsible with it as well. So you kind of have to put those two things together. Yeah, it's a good point. One thing that's coming up is there is this attraction to this chase for dopamine. Those technologies, 
video games, cartoons. As the boys get older, there's other parts of the internet that they might start to get interested in that you have to watch out for. It's like the dopamine of those attractions, the way it can hijack your limbic system and such, is really tough to like turn down, like to have the willpower to say, yeah, I'm going to go read instead of watch this really cool movie. I'm going to go study science instead of play this cool video game with my friends. So how did you handle that? Scroll you know, through because TikTok. <laughs> ultimately, it's like you're competing against a pretty appealing option here. Is that something that was cultivated, that discipline or that mindset? One of the things you mentioned me is helping them connect to what they want in the long run well, do kids really know what they want in the long run? How often are they able to delay gratification? Walk me through that a little bit. Those are all great lessons that I wanted my kids to understand. I wanted them to know that if you want something bigger in the future, you may not get all the little things that you want right now because you're making that trade-off. So do you want the bigger, better thing or do you want the smaller things right now? And then once you start asking kids these kinds of questions on the levels that they understand with the things they're looking at right now, sometimes you'll be surprised at the answer, but they don't think of it that way until you bring it up. And I think that's part of us, part of what we need to do as parents, because what do we want? We really want our kids to grow up and be responsible, mature, self-sufficient adults. And what I'm finding is that we can't be afraid of these conversations. We've got to be able and willing to speak openly with our kids about what are the dangers of being online? What things are out there that can be a negative in their life? And how can we focus on the things that will make them happy or that they may want in the future without making it too difficult on them today to say, hey, you can't ever have video games? Well, that would be unrealistic. So instead, I can ask questions like, what can you learn from this video game that you're going to play for a half an hour and then you're going to be gone? You're going to turn on your timer and in that half hour, you're done. And they'll get on and like Devin played Minecraft. He likes Minecraft. And so he would play his half hour and he would get off and he'd go, well, today I learned about these different minerals and I learned about, and so he would talk about it. Okay, well, you learned something from it. What I think is awesome is I mean, they've started this young entrepreneurs group for you know eight to 25 year olds called MIT or Millionaires in Training. And one of the things that he offers with that is a Minecraft server that you can learn to invest in real estate. So you're actually buying real estate or starting a business in the game itself. So he's turning what he learned in a video game and turning it into a learning experience for other kids to learn about business and investing. And so he's actually taking something that a lot of adults would not look at as something they can learn from and turning it into a fun learning experience for other kids. It's incredible. I love this. These are great answers. And quite frankly, they were even surprising and counterintuitive to me in many ways. It's good reflection for me to go back and listen to this and send this to my wife as soon as we finish this recording and make sure that we're synced up because this is some really good stuff. Thank you, Lila. Well, as parents, we don't want our kids to ever be hurt. But if we don't let them fail every now and again, they're also not going to learn how to avoid those kinds of things. So you don't want to get hurt physically, but like if they fall down and skin a knee, okay. We were camping once and Ethan was riding too fast through the four-wheeler trails and Eric was coming the opposite direction. And so Ethan swerved off the path, hit a tree stump, flew over his handlebars and, you know, kind of flipped over on the ground. And Eric sat there for a moment. Ethan immediately jumped back up. So Eric knew he was okay. So Eric said, well, you better turn your four-wheeler back over and drove off. So I come by like 10 seconds later, right? Because I was following Ethan, but he was faster than me. 
And I realize he's got a flipped four wheeler. So I help him flip it back over and we drive back to the campsite and Eric looks over at me and goes, I didn't know if I'd be in trouble because I left him alone. And I'm like, no, he's not hurt. He's fine. And he drove slower from that point on. He actually was more cautious because he realized what could happen if he isn't paying attention, if he isn't slowing down. And if somebody's coming up the trail that he doesn't see in time. And so it was a great lesson for him. It didn't hurt him, but it did scare him enough to realize, look, all these times mom and dad are telling me, look, slow down and look for things and pay attention. Well, this is why they're telling me that. So sometimes we have to let them fail at something in order to learn a bigger lesson. As I'm listening, it's funny. I remember a memory from fourth grade, Miss Sickles class. I still remember this. And we saw an image of tobacco, of smoking cigarettes and chewing tobacco and cigars. And like there was this lesson on it. And there was one of those old school videos. And then there was a picture of some guy's lip and his inner lip and how gross it was and showing pictures of lungs and all this stuff. I still remember this. I mean, we're going fourth grade, Mike. I made a decision in that moment. I was like, I am never going to touch that. That is disgusting. That is gross. It has scarred me in a good way, in the most positive way possible because I saw the consequences of doing this activity. And if I interpreted a little bit of what you're saying here is you're not instill the fear of God inside of the kids of like, if you do this, because that's not healthy either, but showing like, what are the potential consequences of this continued behavior over the course of time, if it turned into an addiction. So that's why we want to have some sort of parameters. And I love the pre-frame that you said of like, hey, before you go into the video games, you got 30 minutes and your assignment is to extract whatever lessons you could learn over the next 30 minutes while playing the video game. I'm curious, number one, Correct me if I misinterpreted the whole installment fear a little bit or showing the potential consequences. That's number one. And number two, if you have any more examples of how you create some of those preframes before they go into an activity where you can set the stage the appropriate way. So that way they can extract some lessons from activities kids are doing that maybe parents are missing. Maybe there's some little blind spots there that could be helpful. Well, for your first question on consequences, I think kids need to learn that every decision they make has either a positive or a negative consequence or a result that's going to come from it. And we started early with our kids. Like we would go to a restaurant before they could even really talk and they would point to a picture in the menu of what they wanted. And surfers would come over and they would look at me or they would look at Eric and say, well, what does he want to eat? And Eric would just say, well, I don't know, ask him. And he would point to the picture in the menu. And so she would get that for him. Well, my kids learned that sometimes they're going to order things they don't like. It doesn't taste good. It wasn't what they wanted, but they had to eat it. That's what you ordered. That's what you eat. And so I wanted them to learn. You are allowed to make this decision, but you are going to live with whatever that result is. So you need to learn how to make a good decision. And so after a while, they learned, like, look at me and go, am I going to like this? Do you think I'm going to like this? And I would say, oh, I don't think you'll like that one. Or yes, I think you will like that. And then they would try it. And so they started to even ask an opinion of somebody that understands or has eaten that food before. So they're actually taking in information. And they took all these same lessons into things like business, things like investing, things like making other choices for school or for scouts. I think these are huge lessons and we need to let them make those decisions early on so they can learn what a good decision is. They can learn how to make a good decision. What are some ways to make a better decision, like asking for help or asking for an opinion of somebody that's experienced? So they learn early on about consequences. And I think that's huge. Pre-framing something before they get started, I want them to go into something with intention. 
and you want to play a video game, that's great. I want you to go in with the intention of accomplishing something with it. You want to start a business? Great. You need to go into it with intention. No matter what activity they want to get into, you need to pick out something that they can focus on that gets them further faster. Preframing things is a great way to do that. And I have a small follow-up to that is because one of the concerns or curiosities, I should say, that I have is I want James, my son, he's only two and a half, but I want him to get exposed to all these different things. So if he gets exposed to all these different things, that means he's going to move from one thing to the next. And some version of me that feels like quitting. (laughs) It's like I started something, I stopped something, I quit it, right? But I'm going to replace it with something new. But this concept of setting a preframe of as far as intentionality goes, is there anything around that determining the difference between starting something new and stopping something and what it means to quit something and how creating the intention the appropriate way so that way we don't raise quitters where they think it's acceptable to start something and then stop something all the time. There is that concern in me because I've seen it where these kids, they become 16 years old. They start the team, they quit the team. They start a thing, they quit the team. They drop out of class. They quit relationships. The divorce rate is extremely high, right? Like (laughs) it starts getting larger scale, but it's starting somewhere. The behavior starts somewhere. So that's why it's a concern and curiosity for me. So I'd love for you just to kind of riff on that and just see what you have to say about that. Well, that's exactly when you want to use something like pre-framing it. You can look at your son and say, okay, you want to be on the baseball team? That's great. We're going to go through the entire season. You have to play until the last game is played. And here's what I want you to focus on. And here's some of the things we're going to do for fun. And hey, if you make these accomplishments, here's what we're going to do to celebrate. I'm going to take you out for ice cream every time your team wins, or I'm going to do, you know, and set it up in the beginning. It's almost like coming up with a code of honor, right? Here's what you want to do. Here's what I'm going to do to help you get there. Here's what I expect from you in return, value for value exchange. And here's how we know when that task is ended. And then if you decide you like it and want to do it again next year, then we'll talk about what we're going to do next year that might be different than this year. And so just preframe it before you get started so that they know when that ending goal has been reached. And it doesn't have to be a long goal, but it's enough that they get the lesson and they have followed through to a conclusion. That's what I wanted to click on because some of some things don't have a season or an end date. We had Laura Wilkinson who like gymnastics didn't have like a season or an end date. So is that something that you would just create that deadline by a certain time frame or a belt or an accomplishment if it's Taekwondo or scouts? Is it like a badge or something like that if I'm hearing that right? That is exactly what you want to do is you set that goal, whatever that is, but you can't set it just as a parent. You and your child need to set that together. So it's not just you telling them what to do. It's an agreement that the two of you have made together. And they will be not only more likely to follow through because now they've given their word and you want to teach them that their word means something. That when they say they're going to go do something, that they go do it. That reputation can benefit them in the future and that they need to learn how to do that right now, no matter what their age All of these things are wonderful lessons that all play into one thing. You just want to get them to finish things. But all these other lessons about following through on your word, making an agreement in advance, trading value for value, like all of these are huge concepts and you're rolling it up all into one thing. I love it. You're preaching my language over here. You're speaking my language. So I love it. I'm curious, have you ever read Jonathan Haidt's book or heard of it, The Coddling of the American Mind? Have you heard of that book? I have not, but I'm writing it down now. Yeah. I mean, it's just making me think about this book because Jonathan Haidt is a social scientist. I think he's at NYC or something like that. 
very well distinguished guy. And he talks about these three ideas that are kind of killing Americans youth. So it's like, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Always trust your feelings. Life is a battle between good people and evil people. And how we're giving this sort of learned helplessness. And what I'm picking up from you is this rugged individuality, this autonomy, this self-reliance, these more classic virtues that you're instilling into your children. And it just seems like the polar opposite. And I just think it's so interesting that you're raising children like this. And the contrast to this bubble mentality of keeping your kids insulated as much as possible. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what are your thoughts on that? I know you haven't exactly dove into his work just yet, but I think you really like it. And also culturally, this is almost the opposite of what most parents are doing. But then you look at the results and you go, well, Lila's raised two accredited investor millionaire sons as teenagers. What's happening with other teenagers? <laughs> what are we seeing in their behaviors and how are they acting? I mean, quite frankly, not just in terms of performance, they're down, but things like mental illness, things like suicide, things like addictions, really serious issues are coming up for them. So I think you're showing the stark contrast. I'm super intrigued by what you're up to. What would you say to that? And how do you reconcile those two things? I'd just love to hear you riff on it a little bit. Well, everywhere we go, people keep asking us how we got our kids to do what we did. And really, the whole goal was just to get them to be essentially a responsible, self-reliant adult when they grew up. And I wanted them to have those lessons. I didn't treat a two-year-old different because he was a two-year-old. You still have to make a good decision. You still have to be responsible. You still have to do all these different things. So I might have to put that at a two-year-old level, but the lesson is the same, even if the way you have to communicate it is slightly different. They've got to be able to take charge of their own life in some way, shape, or form, or they're just going to go rebel because they want to do it separate from you. So I would rather they be trying a new endeavor with me right there to help guide them or maybe throw in my two cents here and there to keep them on a better path than for them to try to do something behind my back that might absolutely hurt them and that I wouldn't even have a say in or be able to say, hey, did you think about how this is going to affect you? And so I try to be very open with my kids. I don't try to shelter them at all. People, if they swear in front of my kids, they have a tendency to apologize. And I just look at them like, they're gonna hear that in the world. I'm not trying to shelter them from that. That being said, my kids know that swearing for them is not appropriate. They've got that balance of knowing that it exists in the world, but that doesn't mean they have to do it. And I think that's a big thing. We went to Boy Scout camp and Devin has written two books and he was so proud of these books. And one of the kids started picking on him because to that other kid, having to sit down and write a book would have been akin to torture. And Devin was a little disappointed. I talked to him later. I said, you know, did it bother you what this kid was saying? He goes, no. He goes, that's all that kid's problem. It doesn't have anything to do with me. He says, I understand these books I wrote have given me this amazing life. I've been able to travel and speak on stages with people like Robert Kiyosaki. And so all of these books have given me these things. And that kid just doesn't know any better. So that just says more about that kid than it will ever say about me. And he was okay with it. But when I was little, I would have taken that to heart. I would have thought maybe I was doing something wrong. So I think giving him that strength of mind will not only help him right now, but that's going to help him as an adult too, because the world's always going to throw problems at you. You've got to be able to handle them appropriately and continue forward in spite of all the problems. 
That's awesome. Thank you for that. I'm curious, you and Eric partnering together, you told the origin story of how you met. How do you navigate that as well? Obviously, you want to make time for each other. But then how do you partner with your spouse? Because I think a lot of times it's possible maybe you're in the same boat, but you're not always swimming in the same direction or paddling in the same direction. So I'm curious from your perspective, how have you navigated that to make sure that there's a consistent experience for the children? What would you say to that? Well, let me start by explaining that Eric and I have very different personalities. When we first got together, our closest friends literally had a betting pool on how long we would last because we're so different. And the longest one was six months. And I found out about this and I told him about it. And I said, here's my perspective on that. I said, we can let all of these differences divide us or we can choose to use them to our advantage because what my strengths are is your weaknesses and where I am weak, you are strong. So if we work together as a team, we can be unstoppable. I said, but we have to make that decision. And so we made that decision in the very beginning before we were ever even married. And so we kind of take that approach now. Our core values are all the same. How we approach things might be completely different because our personalities are different. Teaching our kids, I realize if I start teaching them something and I can't communicate it appropriately, I will have Eric do it because he will come at it from a different angle with his personality. And then the kids might get it that way so much better. So sometimes it takes that teamwork, those differences, those things that you can both contribute to not only raise the children well, but it also makes the marriage better. Are there arguments? Sure. Every relationship is going to have a little bit of that. But we also have a code of honor on our own. And one of those things is we don't ever go to bed angry. So we might be up till 3 a.m. discussing the problem until we can find a solution. But we're never going to go to bed angry. And so I think every relationship needs that code of honor in the beginning. How are we going to handle these things? Do we want children? How are we going to raise them? Do we want to homeschool? All these things. If you have your own code with that person, the relationship will go so much better. And so we just partner together on everything. And if I realize that this particular task, he's going to be so much better for, I'll just ask him to help with that. And he'll do the same thing if he knows that I would be better for that particular item. Sometimes we attack it as a team because we're not sure what's going to be better, but you've got to do what works. So sometimes we're back to the scientific approach. You try it. If it doesn't work, you try something else. But uh, I think the two of us working together has been amazing. I couldn't imagine having a better partner. He is my best friend. He is my business partner and he is my sounding board. Sometimes he's what keeps me rocking and rolling because he'll go, oh, don't forget you've got to make sure you're focusing on these things. And like, he'll see the things I don't see. And it makes us so much stronger together. We had Mike McCarthy on the show and he talked a little bit about some of these core values and him and his wife, Lindsay, created a Miracle Morning book from the Hal Elrod series on the Miracle Morning Playbook for Families. And he talked a little bit about some of these similar principles, but I really want to hear from you on some of this. And I asked him a similar question because the foundation of the relationship, I know you mentioned code of honor, you mentioned core values. I'm interested, number one, did you do that activity together or separate as far as is it very clear and explicit what those core values are? And is that written somewhere? Is that reviewed somewhere? Is that in the public somewhere? Is that in private somewhere? So I would love to hear a little bit more about the core values because this is something I'm workshopping at the moment. 
I also am interested in this code of honor. Some people base the foundation of their marriage on their core values or some study like theology. And it's like a basis of all different religions. Some are anchored to a specific religion. And that's where it comes from. Do you have a take on some of that or what you and Eric decided to do for your family and what you've seen worked or not work from that lens under the umbrella of code of honor, core values, religion, theology, any of that, but being principled and anchored to something that's bigger than what our reaction is to like this current situation in front of us? So some of the core values, we looked at money in similar ways, but we also approached it differently because I was taught to save money growing up. And he was taught that it is better to invest the money than to save it. So he understood a lot more about inflation than I did. So I actually grew to kind of start looking at it more from his point of view, because it made sense because the logic was there. And so that was one of the things that we had discussed even in the beginning, because it was something that was different. And so we had to figure out how are we going to handle things? Are we going to put our money together? or Are we going to keep separate accounts all the time? Are we planning to have kids? Do we believe in going to church every week? So all these decisions that you make about how you want your life to be, that's where your core values put you. You need to know how your partner stands on all these different things. And it's not a one conversation thing. And you may or may not write it down. We didn't, but it is a long string of conversations. One of our habits right now is at the end of the day, we literally sit together, sometimes as a family, sometimes just Eric and I, and we just talk about the problems of the world or what we're facing in our personal life or what we're planning to do tomorrow. And it's all these important conversations that are about making our world better, whether that be the entire world in general, or just our own personal little world. And we need to have those discussions. We need to keep ourselves moving in a direction that keeps us where we want to go. For example, we want to sell 2 million books in two years, not because we care about the sales, but we care about reaching that many people. And so we count giving away a book the same as selling one because we want to help all these other families. That's our way to kind of make the world a better place. And I love it when I get some of these parents calling me with questions like, I have this problem and I don't know how to solve it. And so I can kind of put my creativity in action and throw out some ideas. You know, I had a lady that her son was like, Ethan, she's having problems teaching him how to read. But even trying some of the physical things, she wasn't sure what to do with him, but he likes to cook. So I said, well, how does he read the recipe? She goes, well, I've been reading it. I said, well, stop that. He needs to learn how to read the recipe. And once he knows that he's got to learn how to read to do that, he'll be more interested. So she's been working with him on that and it's working. It's working together, not not only with your partner, but as a team with other parents and finding out what's worked for them. But it's so amazing when we all get together and we put our heads together, the cool ideas we can come up with. And it ends up helping everybody in the long run because a good idea that works can be shared with everyone. And it makes everybody's world better. Yeah, that's so good. Well, next time I'm in Ohio, I want to stop by. I want to be a fly on the wall in those conversations. I want to sit on the back porch and have dinner with you guys, break bread and engage in those interesting conversations. I'm sure they're very fun. I have a question. I know we've spent a lot of this time really talking about how you just raised these amazing kids. And I think partially that's also because we have both of your son and your husband's podcast episodes out where we got really into the nitty gritty on real estate and investing and all these different things. But I also know that you have a lot to contribute on that point too. So we've got to be a little bit cognizant of time, but I'm curious, like what's the biggest lesson that you've learned from investing or business that you would love to share with the audience that from Lila's perspective, because I'm sure that you have some things that they didn't mention. What would you say to that? My biggest lesson was that 
being a good parent made me a better business person and being a better business person made me a better parent. And most people would not think those two things are related. But for example, learning how to motivate my kids taught me how to motivate my team because people don't come to work just for a paycheck. They want something bigger than that. They want something that's important to them. Learning from my kids that it's not just about the money. It's about the passion behind it or the things that they need out of it. And I went into that a little bit in our book as well, but it's amazing how that lesson carried over. And then it's interesting learning how to talk to people at work, either on my team or from our customers, and then bringing that home and being able to be logical instead of angry at my kids when they mess something up and just talking to them about how I would talk to a client or a customer or a team member to correct the behavior without getting angry and just yelling and screaming because it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. And so some of these lessons carry back and forth and being good at one has made me better at the other. And that was a huge lesson for me. That's great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that, Lila. We always ask our guests three questions at the end of every episode. The first question is, what do you think the world needs most right now? We need to teach financial education. I think people are not learning the right things and we've got to get them a better base so that When they come across all these problems, they're going to have a way to think through them and to solve the problem. It's a good answer. The second question is, what are one to three books that you think people should read? Obviously, there's yours, Family Success Triangle, which we'll talk about in just a moment. What are one to three others that you feel people should check out? If you've got a business, I think you should read The Goal by E.M. Goldratt. It's a great story. And then one that you'll probably never have heard from anyone before is I would recommend Oh, The Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss which while written for entertaining children, has a very poignant message for people of all ages. So that would be my other book. Awesome. And last question, Lila, what does it mean to you to be better than rich? I think it means that once you have gotten your finances in order, that you really have a responsibility to go out and make the world better in some way, shape or form. It's amazing all these wealthy people that I meet, their finances are all situated and now they're focused on solving problems. And like Mark Victor Hansen is one of our mentors. And when we sit down and eat dinner with him, the conversation is not about solving a problem in the local community. He thinks about solving it globally or even if we start moving to Mars, how we can make things better. So he's starting to think universally. The more money you have, it's like the bigger they can think and the more problems they can solve for more people. Once you get to that standpoint, once you get to the the point where your finances are good, go out and do something good for the world because you can. Well, Lila, I know for sure that people are going to want to stay in touch with you. And I know they already are wanting to stay in touch with your family because they've listened to Devin Eric's episode. But please, from your lens, tell us. Tell us where can people hang out with you more. I know there's clearskytrainer.com if you could speak to that. Speak to the Family Success Triangle book. You already seated MIT if you want to mention that as well. But where could our audience continue to stay in touch with Lila and or the entire Walwyn tribe, we'll call you, because uh, you guys are doing so So we're on most social media at Real Power Family. And we've got our books are on Amazon, whether it be Family Success Triangle, The Garage, which is one of Devin's, or The Treehouse, which is one of Ethan's. And those two are fictional stories for kids that can help the kids have fun and learn good lessons. And our website, clearskytrainer.com, not only has access to our weekly free newsletter, but also has the access to MIT, the Millionaires in Training, which is the Youth Entrepreneur Group, 
where you can have your child sign up and be part of those weekly meetings or even get to play on the Minecraft server and learn about investing and building a business there. So that would be the ways to get a hold of us. Well, I think we have at least one client for the MIT named Elijah Biggs. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's crazy about all these sorts of things. So summer's just started. We're going to get involved for sure. <laughs> well, Lila, thank you so, so, so much for your authenticity, your responses and everything that you're doing for our audience with this conversation and also the movement in general. So thank you for your time and your wisdom. And Andrew, always great questions. I always appreciate that. Listener, Thank you for supporting the show, listening, hanging out with us during this time frame. And assuming this episode helped you, it's your turn. Pay it forward. Help others. Share it with a friend. Subscribe on YouTube. Leave a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. And as always, remember to leave today better than you found it. Till next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at the better than rich show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it. If you found value in this podcast episode and want to go a little bit deeper with myself and Andrew Biggs and our community, I recommend checking out one of these three resources. Number one is join our community. We have the Automate, Delegate, Systemize Facebook group with over a thousand entrepreneurs and self-employed individuals who just want to win back their time, who want to increase their profits, want to expand their businesses and really spend their time on what matters most to them. So join that group. It's on Facebook. It's called Automate, Delegate, Systemize. It is a private group, but we would love to have you join. Number two is we have a free one-hour masterclass. And this free one-hour masterclass that is titled Win Back 13 to 37 Hours of Your Week Every Single Week. By you taking an hour of your time and listening and watching and workshopping with this masterclass, you will learn our three epiphanies to help you understand how to work on the business, not in the business, know that you can delegate and automate almost anything in your business. And you could also build a system in your business, even if you're not tech savvy at all. So I highly recommend you to go to automatedelegatesystemize.com and enjoy that free one hour masterclass. If you really want to go deep with Andrew, myself, and other business owners, we have a program called Operator to Owner. And Operator to Owner is our premier program that's 12 weeks long that will show you exactly how to use what we call the ADS framework, going through the prospect journey, the client journey, how to onboard properly, build your staff, build the pillars of your organization, audit your time with a dollar per hour exercise, offload and delegate your under dollar per hour wage that you want to pay yourself, how to offload those tasks and really how to buy back your time. Our promise is that by the end, you will learn how to leverage a virtual assistant team, whether you want to use our better than rich virtual assistants. We have those services. You could go to va.betterthanrich.com or you can learn how to use your own virtual assistant team and hire offshore workers. But we are here to help you win back time gain your freedom and try to stay true to what it means to be an entrepreneur and why you became an entrepreneur in the first place. So 
take advantage of those three resources. We have the Facebook group that's free. We have the masterclass that's free. And then of course we have operator to owner and our virtual assistant services that are behind the paywall and be on the lookout for our next mini course, win back your freedom and increase your profits, which we've done a couple of times already. And maybe there's one coming up in the near future.